Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. This feels so good to be able to get back into that normal rhythm of our interview, review, interview, review with the writer's strike and the actor's strike and everything that was going on with that. I got an email like before the actor's strike was done and I it said, hey, would you want to interview Fred North? So I look at Fred North and I go, oh my gosh, he is... The, one of the greatest stunt pilots in Hollywood history, looking at his credits, the directors, what they say about him. And then I read his book, Flying Sideways, the story of the world's most famous stunt pilot. And so many people endorse his book, Michael Bay, Charlize Theron, uh, Gerard Butler. And he tells some stories about those are the Charlize and Gerard. I don't know him that well. I shouldn't probably just call him by their first name. But I asked about those two because those are two of my favorites. So it's pretty cool to hear his stories about each one and how they uh, were kind enough to, you know, endorse his book by uh, with some quotes for it, which I think is so cool. And yeah, Fred had a great story. The fact that at so many points of his life, he was so determined, determined. He said he wasn't great at school. He was determined to get into flight school and then boom. And then when he was, he had to do something that seems impossible when he has talked about the story about getting a license in Canada, having to get it within like, like weeks and it usually takes three months, but he was so determined. You'll love that story. I love that one so much. And that was to uh, fly and do some uh, stunts on Fantastic Four, the first one that came out in the 2000s. And there's just so many points that that's, that's what he did. And uh, setting the altitude record in a helicopter. I read that part of the story after we chatted. You'll hear in the interview because I didn't get to that story yet when I was reading the book a few weeks back. So exhilarating. The, the, man. What what he went through, uh, put his body through to do that. Pretty amazing. <laughs> so amazing. So it's Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this on Thanksgiving, if, if it's not Thanksgiving, if you're eating a turkey sandwich or whatever, we're thankful for you. Thanks so much for being listeners. If you're new here, please subscribe. Follow us on all social media at Seagulls Only and YouTube and tell your friends. Tell everyone. If you're listening to this on Thanksgiving, tell your uncle that always falls asleep early but before he falls asleep tell him about it or when he falls asleep go into his phone and subscribe on like spotify or apple that'd be pretty cool right he goes in the car tomorrow and he's like whoa who are these cool guys fred north the world's most famous stunt pilot man this is awesome so without further ado here is the world's most famous stunt pilot fred north his book is flying sideways once again the story of the world's most famous stunt pilot and you can buy it at his website fred-north.com i'll put it in the episode notes Enjoy. But yeah, no, I think it's always so interesting because there's so many jobs that go into not only a movie, but into one scene. So I've, I've longed to talk to somebody that does what you do. So this is going to be a lot of fun. But how did it all begin? So I know it was something that uh, from reading some of your book, like you were eight years old. And at that point, you just knew this was for me. What was it? What was it about it? Just a feeling? Well, I mean, first of all, I was not super good at school. Yeah. You know, didn't go to college, all that stuff that was not for me. So I was more like an outdoor kind of person. Um, at eight years old, I was spending most of my time outside. Um, I was not too much about, you know, the teaching thing. I mean, I was going to school, of course. But when that helicopter came into my life, uh, and you have to understand, in Africa, in a small village on West Africa, you know, there's not much going on at, as far as there was no cell phone, no internet, no television, nothing of those. So you're not really, 
you don't know what's going on in the world, in a sense. So when that helicopter came, you know, above my head and um, like like a Mad Max heli- aircraft yeah, spaceship, yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of, you know, traumatized me in a, in a good way, you know. Also, the fact that they put me in that helicopter at eight years old with no no doors and Oof. no seat belts, okay. uh, and it's a three seaters. There's only three seats in the back. So if, even if she's sitting in the middle, there's only one seat on each side. And uh, at eight years old, no seat belts and no doors. <laughs> oh, yeah. so he, and then so when he was making a turn, I thought I was gonna fall. <laughs> you know, I was by myself in the back. So that's something is impossible to do nowadays. You know, but so it stayed in my mind. And then. You know, fast forward um, 15 years later, 12 years later, when I was, you know, uh, um, grown up and then uh, I went to the army, that's when I had opportunities to work with helicopter and the whole thing came back and then I decided that's what I want to do. That's wild. Where where are your parents from? Are they from France? Because they're expats, right? Yes, but they were teachers. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, French teachers, all that stuff. So that's why, you know, we're changing countries and go all over. Amazing know. people, teachers. My, my wife's a teacher. So it's, uh, okay. we would be nowhere without teachers, you know? <laughs> really? Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was it like? So obviously you were doing like the rally, you were doing those rally, uh, races like how was that transition? Did somebody approach you or was it something that you sought out? So the rally, it's because the company that I was working for at the time, they were also doing, it's like the Barra race, but they do it on a bigger scale. Um, like instead to do it in one country, they cross like a continent, like Africa. And right now they, they did it after Africa. They did it in uh, uh, South America. And now they are doing it in Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. So it, they, they change continent like that. Um, so the race itself is like two weeks, but by the time you prep it and everything. So that company was doing that. Um, so I got into this because of them. And pretty quickly, I, 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 in that organization, you have different jobs. You can be uh, a film pilot for the TV um, network, but you can also be a medevac. You can be doing you know, search and rescue because so many people, you know, they get lost. You can be part of the organization. You can work for the reporters and the VIP. So me i wanted to do the filming aspect so i was hired by the tv network and then i just doing the filming now that's not film work that's tv which means there's a big difference there for tv they don't really really care too much the way you're shooting like something they want to make sure you get who's passing the 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 finish line and who's uh winning who's losing and if there is an incident and get that guy so it's more like they know, they need exactly you know some items that you need to shoot. The filming work it's totally different. Um, when you fly for a movie, the way you are flying translating the story to the audience, not necessarily what's happening on the ground. Because if you're shooting uh, anything on its own, it doesn't tell the story because it's part of a two hours or three hours movie. So. Yeah. The way you, you if, if you do a three seconds rapid zoom in with the helicopter, you're going to bring energy to the audience. They're going to say, and you put like another music on top of that. It's like, what's going on? You know, if you go super slow, it's a 45 seconds and there's a dialogue in the car. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a different way to fly between the TV uh, work, the filming and then the movie work. So 
it took me a while to do the transition between the two. Yeah. No, it's it's so amazing just just your story from what I read so far. And again, your book is Flying Sideways: The Story of the World's Most Famous Stunt Pilot. It's so funny whenever you think about. Now, obviously, we can't time travel, but if you would have told yourself the career that you still have going, but that you've had so far, it, it's crazy. From like you just mentioned the story about being eight years old in the helicopter, no doors, and you're thinking you're going to fall out, to you know becoming a master of yeah, the craft. You know, it's a crazy. Yeah. It's, did you read the whole book or just not all of it? Not all of it. I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. I just finished tax season and uh, for for uh, for you, extensions. It, in the back of the book, there is some QR codes. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. No, I watched some of those clips. Yeah. 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 So you can watch the videos because it's pretty fun to be able to see it, you know, while, you know, explaining the story. For sure, I would have never envisioned any of that. Um, all the craziness, all the stories, you know, all the stuff I've been through. I mean, it's insane. And writing the book was like thinking, you know, Fuck, I mean, that's crazy what happened and everything that I've been through. And at the, I mean, there's two reasons that I, you know, we did the book. It's um, the first one is for my kids. Uh, I love that. Kids. When I read that, I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, as a parent, your kids only, you know, realize who, who you are from that moment. So if they're 15, 16 years old, that's when they know who you are, but they don't know how you got there. They only know from now what you're going to be doing. So they think that, yeah, you get an amazing job. Yeah, you're lucky because they don't know all the crap you've been going through for the past, you know, 30 years. So the book was to explain to them, give them guidance and inspiration how we did it. So they know they have the same strength, the same energy. So that was kind of a legacy for them for that. And then the second part um, is for, because on my social media, I'm getting so many messages from pilots and stuff asking, you know, how, I can be a film pilot. How did I get there? And and then I'm responding to them. But uh, the book is was to explain. It's not. I didn't have a goal because I I didn't know that even that job existed as a film pilot for Hollywood. I didn't know. <laughs> it was. I, I knew I wanted to do something out of this world, but I didn't know what it was. But I had just the energy to keep going and hardworking and not not uh, take no for an answer and i know all those is just cliche sentences but really it's not because somebody says no that you have to stop uh, in the book you know when i'm telling the story when i did the uh, the jet fighter uh selection school to be one of the uh, jet fighter pilots yeah. in france back then and when the the guy after one week of doing all the selection and thinking i'm I'm pretty good at it. You know, the arrogant moment is going to tell me, yeah, you know, you're amazing, all that stuff. And then he told me, you know, you should never be a pilot. You'll be a terrible pilot. Get a fuck out, you know, which is at, at 19 years old is like, I mean, you think the guy knows, you know? So luckily for me, I didn't listen, but that's kind of the, it's kind of a life lesson, the book, but it's funny. I mean, you, you can, you can, talk about it because if you you know read half of it but it's yeah no 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 i think it's so cool to have those experiences like i first of all i think it's so great that uh you and your wife thought of that like hey let's write it for our kids because i'm telling you that people usually don't talk shop with everyone like in your field i'm sure like when you're together with other stunt pilots or other 
uh, just pilots in general, you could talk about these things. And I've talked to so many actors and stuff. And I talked to the special effects guy when I started this like four years ago. He never talked to his family about what he did. And he worked on some big movies in the 80s. And then he passed yeah. away like a year after I interviewed him. And his niece reached out to me and was like, oh, my uncle Tim passed away. His name was Tim Lawrence. And she goes, he never talked about any of this stuff. And we found your interview. And he never did interviews and stuff. So it's like, it's really hard to find somebody's story. Because it's right. really not out there. Because you have this little piece of the puzzle in a movie. Even some actors, you don't know what they really do behind the scenes, no, like in their own life. And, right. And and even my parents, you know, I, I don't know how they, they made themselves. How did they become what they became? And... Uh, and it's even more special when your parents have a wild job. Yeah. But I think if, if I think if the kids knew how the parents did it, it will give them strength or to not make the same mistake or, you know, there will be a learning experience there. So the book was really, you know, a big part of that. Yeah. And you're opening up to your kids. You know, maybe some people don't want to say like, you know what? I made a lot of mistakes before it worked out. So at least, yeah. A long list of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's so cool. So, so how did you like, so, so you're doing the rally for TV and then like your first credits, I think in 1996, like some French films, how yeah. did that, was that a transition you made saying, Hey, I want to get into this or did somebody, same thing, like somebody reached out to you to say like, Hey, would you want to do this? So while I was doing the rally race, there is a company in England called ACS Aerial Camera System, and the, the, those guys were also they were also doing TV event, but they was they were also doing the big American film based from London. So all, most of the American film that comes to Europe they go through the UK because of the language and and all the people you know there is a lot of uh, filming people crew over there back then. Now you find them anywhere everywhere in yeah. Europe. But so that company approached me and said, Fred, you know we want to open a company in France, ACS France you know, the one in the UK and one in France, and we want you to be part of it. And they wanted me to be the pilot for the filming work that we'll develop together. So it started a bit like that. So I was doing a little bit of, of movie, like French movie, and uh, and not many American movies back then, because it's difficult to be approved by the studio. Like the studio is not going to work with somebody they don't know. Yeah. It takes a little bit for them to trust somebody. It's not like trusting you with money or what is trusting you for safety and, 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 you know, can you do this? Like, because studio will ask, you know, sometimes the story, it's a crazy ask. They want me to do something completely stupid. So they want to make sure that the <laughs> yeah. local pilot, he knows enough to say yes or no or how. So that's why it, it, it was hard for me to go and get big American movie. They were bringing the pilots from the U S back then. And then slowly by slowly, then, uh, then I, I met one guy, his name is Larry Blanford, and he, he shot the first Top Gun as a cameraman. And then he, he, he was doing a job in Venezuela for a big, big movie. And then the helicopter that was based there was under a French registration. And the pilot license need to go with the registration. So even if you take a French helicopter and you take it to Venezuela, you cannot use a Venezuelan license. You need to use a French license. Oh, wow. Um, it, which is, you know, if you think about it, an, uh, like an American airline flight that goes from, from LA to France, the pilot is legally authorized to land in France with it because it goes with the registration, not yeah. the country. So long story short, I had to go to Venezuela to do the film. And that was my first film as a, as a film pilot. And that's what 
that's when that guy, Larry, explained to me there is a job in the U.S. as a sound pilot. There's only four or five guys in the world doing that. They are really expert in the craft. They have knowledge in camera lenses and script and the whole creative aspect of it. And he said, you know, I had the, the skill to do it. And I didn't really understand exactly what it, you know, what he means by that. But it, that's, that was a big shift. Yeah. So I decided to put all my energy, my effort, my money towards to try to get film work in Europe. And in 2002, I decided to uh, to move to Los Angeles. So it took me two years to do that move because I had company, uh, you know, uh, wife and kids, and it's not something you do overnight. So it took two years. And then in 2004, I did the transfer. And from that, it took me five years of back and forth between France and the U.S. try to build, you know, a bigger market in the U.S. and then still working a little bit from Europe. So, I mean, it was something. Yeah. Who was the, what was the, uh, what was the movie you worked on? Or was there somebody that championed you? I know like Michael, the, you know, what's so cool. I think about your book besides your story is a lot of times people that are actors behind the scenes, they write books about their careers, but the endorsements you have, People love you, Fred. Yeah. Like that's so cool. <laughs> I all of them are great, but I lo- I love Gerard Butler and just his thing. The way he wrote it was like a story, which was so yeah. cool and it was so in depth and uh, it was so to to hear the like the biggest action guy. There's only like a few guys right now that I would say that can rival like the action guys of the '80s, and he's definitely in there when he talks about like you know excrement, like almost like pooping his pants because of the way you were above him in no, that helicopter. He, he, Gerard is Jerry, you know, as we call him. He was amazing because when I asked him, you know, if he can um, do an endorsement, so I sent him the, the, the book and then he read it and then he was so, like, he, told, he spoke to me for 45 minutes uh. and, and I said, you know, I cannot put 45 minutes of our conversation. I need something. And then, but he was, you know, he's, he's so creative and he's so, like, rich in, in, in all the words and everything. He was I mean, I love I love working with him. He was at the blast, and he's such a good person. So yeah, that was cool. That was yeah. cool. Yeah, now he's you know. the best. I feel like he can do any movie. Like I love the movie Plane, but I feel like anybody in yeah. a movie that's just called Plane, it wouldn't work. But he just sells the story. He's that good, no matter what. But I know that was pretty cool. Yeah. All the endorsements you had. So back to my question. So what was the movie, or was it uh, somebody that you worked with championed you and recommended you for other ones? Because you said how hard it was to get in. So. When I moved to Los Angeles, uh, it, it's not because I'm moving that suddenly, you know, the phone is going to ring yeah. because nobody's waiting for you. Um, <laughs> and back then, you know, my, my English was shit. I didn't know much about anything. Um, so Larry Blanford, my friend that I flew for in Venezuela, um, he was the director of photography, so the cameraman, he, um, he had a job, a movie called Fantastic Four. So oh, the yeah. first one. And, but it was in Canada in uh, Vancouver, close to Vancouver, in Whistler. And then he said, you know, Fred, there is no American pilot that I know that have a Canadian license, so they cannot fly there unless we take a ship from the U.S. and bring it to Canada. But the production didn't want to do that because it's expensive. They want to use a local ship. So then he said, if you can get the Canadian license, so he said the job is in two and a half months. If you can get the Canadian license, I can pitch you and get you on the show. Because instead to use a local Canadian pilot that they don't know, let's use that French guy 
He has a Canadian license. He's my pilot. So that that was the entry, and it was it was a complicated thing for me to do in uh, less than two months. So first first the helicopter that I had the plan to use was in Whistler, on a, with a company called Blackcomb Aviation, and you need to have those guys to let you fly their machine. So they have to give their helicopter that costs three million dollars to a, a unknown fucking foreigner. Yeah, you know. So why should we give our helicopter to that bloody f- French foreigner? So I call the, I call, and that's that's on me. It's not production is going to do that for me. So I call the guy. His name was Steve, and old school, old school guy. And I say, hey Steve, I'm French. You know, I'm a phone pilot. I'm based in LA. Yalla yalla yalla. And uh, I need to fly for a movie in Whistler. So can I fly your ship? And he said, but. Fred, uh, you don't even have a Canadian license. I said, forget the piece of paper for a second. Would you let me? And back back at the time, I had 10,000 hours, which is a lot for a pilot. I said, I have 10,000 hours, perf- perfect safety record, um, you know, and I will treat your machine like if it was my own. Would you let give me your machine? And he was old school. So he said, you know what, Fred? If you can get your license in two months from now, and he was convinced there was no way I was going to get it. If you can get your commercial <laughs> license less than two months from now, and we do a little flight test together, if you're good to go, I give you the key of my machine. You can fly by yourself. Wow. I said, I have your word. He said, Fred, I'm old school. We handshake. You have my word. Hang up the phone. Then, I mean, I basically throw the whole cavalry thing. So. I uh, contacted a school in Montreal. Why in Montreal? It's because they, fr- they speak French. So yeah. to me, it was easier because my English back then was not B minus like today. It was like Z minus, <laughs> not good. So I was thinking, okay, I better go where they speak French. I didn't want to add that to the to the complicated, you know, challenges. And I went there, and then the guy told me, Fred, it's three months to the commercial license. That's the fastest we can do. I said, that, that, that doesn't work for me. I need to have my paperwork in a month and a half so I can give it to them and I can do the paperwork. They said, there is no way. I said, the only way for you to do that is as a freelance to do the the, the, the written test, which is a three hours test and you, you need like 95% of good answers. Wow. And then you need to do your flying test. And I mean, there's, the, the Canadian license is not an easy one. And then you need to do your medical. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it as a freelance. But they say, we, we don't have anybody to teach you because freelance, you, you do it on your own. And the books were maybe three feet up, like all part <laughs> of the books that you learned for the exams. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't need to learn to be a pilot. I just need to do the exam. Mm-hmm. So then I went, I said, I asked those guys, who are your best two students that just finished the exam? He said, well, we have those two guys, two French guys. So I went to see, see them and I said to the two guys, can I hire you for 10 days? We're going to work from 6 a.m. to midnight. I will rent a house. We'll work 10 days. You'll teach me for 10 days to pass the exam. I don't give a shit about the knowledge. I want to pass the exam because yeah. I'm already a pilot. I don't know. I don't need to know the weather and the clouds. I don't know all that stuff. I need to pass the exam. Can we do that? They said, yes, we made a deal. For 10 days, we work 6 a.m. to midnight every day. Crazy, you know, crazy for like 18 hours a day. Like like stupid idiots. And after 10 days, I did my exam. 
And those two were like, you know, a husband and the pregnant woman is going to deliver a baby. They were in the little room waiting for me to do my exam. They were so stressed out <laughs> for me. I was stressed out, but they were even more stressed out for me. I passed the exam. <laughs> I succeeded. And then I did my, my uh, flight test. And you have to understand, back then at 10,000 hours, the, the guy giving me the flight test, maybe he had 1,000 hours. I bet. Like, yeah. But anyway, so I did all that stuff. So after three weeks, I had my paperwork, wow. which was amazing. And then I called Steve back. <laughs> and I said, hey, Steve, uh, you know, I have my license. He said, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't, I don't believe you. I said, I have my fucking license. He said, send it to me. So back then it was a fax. Yep. You have to fax it. So, uh, and I said, I have my, you know, so I gave him the, the number on the license. He called Transport Canada, the, the local FAA. And he said, I cannot believe you have your license. <laughs> I said, you're not going to bail on me. You're going to give me a helicopter. He said, no, I have one word. You'll come. We'll do a test. And that's how I got Fantastic Four. Oh my the God. First movie. That's a so movie right the there, show. Fred. That is a movie yeah. that somebody, dude, that's a, that's a dedication. 18 hours a day for 10 days. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And those are cool guys. Obviously you paid them. Obviously you paid those guys, but man, talk about those two guys. You know? I didn't pay them a lot. I paid them whatever I could at the time, but oh, they, I'm sure. they were, they were super cool. Um, and no dedication. And I, I was not going, going to let that go. Like I had to fight for it. And then I did fantastic four. And then, the, the producers and everybody say, oh, that guy is great. And then, you know, from Fantastic Four, another one and another one and another one, you know, because, uh, you know, the movie business is a referral. That's a that's what it is for. Obviously, on screen people, everybody can watch that. But a lot of it is referral. Like I've talked to people that said, like, especially for TV jobs, it's like you won't get any work. And then say you get like a guest spot on like friends or Seinfeld and then everybody else wants you because you were on that show, but that's the of only course. way you can get hired. It's like one of those, it's one of those like weird things in life that it's like, we want to hire you, but you need experience. But then people don't want to hire people with no experience, you know? Yeah. But to me, the, you know, people ask me, okay, often. So what's the secret of, of succeeding as a young person like you know you're 20 years old and how can you succeed on any any jobs to me i think the key element is to expose yourself to opportunities so it, what happens is people don't take a chance you know go meet somebody like don't hesitate to knock the door at a ceo don't hesitate to uh, go talk to somebody uh, because you think he's not going to talk to you. Fuck that. Just go. Yeah. You know, uh, for me, I was not going to stop because of, I was not going to get my license. Even though everything was saying on the website, you know, you need three months, 90 days is <laughs> yeah. the minimum. I took the plane and I went and I said, how can I reduce that? And then, so just create opportunities for yourself. Just, and then if you do that, well, some of them won't work, but one may work. And then you take that and you take that and you take that. And slowly by slowly, you know, the balls start to roll, and then uh, I think it's valid for any jobs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, you gain experience. Even if you do something that doesn't work out, you'll learn why that didn't work out. And then no, and then you'll notice that the next time a situation that's similar comes up. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, that's- it's basically what, what the internship is about. But internship, you expose yourself. But don't expose yourself to a to a coffee machine. Yeah, yeah. You know, try to expose yourself. So, but it, it is part of the process. But I think the way it is explained to the kids, it's not clear. Like when we tell them you need an internship, it's basically to be exposed to the working world out there. Yeah. But I think we should explain it to them a little bit more. That's why in the book I'm trying to explain it to them. Create those opportunities. Expose yourself. Go explore. Even if it's a shit job, it doesn't matter. I remember at the beginning, being in my career, I wanted to work for, uh, I have 1,000 hours. And uh, it's very hard as a pilot to go from 1,000 hours to like 2,500. And and I was flying a little machine, little helicopter, and I wanted to fly bigger helicopter. The company that had those bigger helicopter, the guy told me, you know, the only way for you to really fly is um, we have a shuttle. It was in Paris and they had a, a shuttle from the airport to the heliport, to the city, by the helicopter, it was six minutes. He said, if you go work at the airport counter and give guidance to the passengers, carry the suitcase, you can fly every day in the morning, six minutes, and six minutes at the end of the day. I did that for six months. Wow. I was telling people where the bathrooms were. I was carrying their suitcase. I was driving the van to take them to the helicopter. And every day I was doing my 12 minutes. But I showed dedication. I show I showed to that guy that I was professional. I was willing to do anything with a smile and a happy guy. But I said after six months, I said, you know, that's enough. Now I need you need to give me a chance. You know, so you know you have to pull the tooth. Like it's nobody's gonna give it to you. You know. No, you're right. Nobody's nobody's ever gonna be like, oh, here's this great opportunity. Here it no. is. You know, never, no. never. It's not gonna happen. You know. in, in life, especially, I think it's in all walks of life, but in Hollywood from, you know, I've interviewed probably like 200 people like behind the scenes in the front. Like it is luck to get that one opportunity, but then you have to like nail that opportunity, you know, because sometimes it's like you it's get luck. one chance. I don't think it's luck. No? Um, because, you know, because you create your luck. No, you do create it. You have it. to create your yeah. luck. No, it's more ti- a timing thing. Like you have timing, yeah. But it's it's a skill to manage timing. It's not just a coincidence. So you have to make sure it's the right time to go talk to someone, and then you have to go. But I mean, it, there's a little bit of luck. The luck aspect is more you in good health and yeah. You know, no, right like place, right time. It could be you walked in after somebody had a terrible audition, like an actress or an actor, and you just sure. looked amazing and to them and they gave you that chance and you nailed it because there's just sometimes yeah. you see people in TV and movies, they're like, oh man, remember that guy that starred in that movie that time and then it, it didn't do well and then he's like forgotten about. Oh, but, but most of the big actors, they, they went through like a oh, yeah. fucking shit show. Yes, but what happens is you keep exposing yourself and to a point, the timing will be right. Yeah. It just... But it's, it's also the way you are introducing yourself. Like, it takes time to get the charisma, to get the confidence to like... And not be a, an ego uh, maniac as well. Not yeah. to be arrogant. Because you can see if people are... They are they're nice and kind or arrogant. It's all that stuff, I think, that plays in your favor or not in your favor. 
But I think it's not it's not just slack. I think you 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 have to direct your own life, um, and and the good things will come. But it it, it may take time. No, know? that's true. For me, it took time. No, know? no, totally. No one. I don't know if you if you know the actor offhand. His name is William uh, Sadler. Does that ring a bell? So his yeah. his story when I talked to him, just like a quick anecdote. He was auditioning for. He was like in a few things in the eighties, uh, before he like was in Die Hard two. But uh, he auditioned for Tales from the Crypt, and his audition was for like a very small role. So he went into the office of Fox. He auditioned, and then at the end, he stopped at the door and he asked the girl that was uh, the casting director. He goes, "Could I read for the executioner, which was like the main character in the first episode that ever aired?" And she's like, "Ah, oh, well, we're trying, kind of looking for people that are established actors that people know." And he goes, "All right, but I know I could do this." And she like took a beat and he walked out and then she opened the window and yelled in the window to the parking lot and said, come back up. And then that's the role that it changed his life. So just like saying see, those I mean, few words changed his life. Yeah. But, um, he, he, he created an opportunity. Oh, he did. Yeah. No, he, he yeah. stuck it out there. Yeah. No, but I think that's uh, so that's why the book to me was also a reason we did that because for me, it's not a financial you know, endeavor. You lose all the money you want with the book, mm-hmm. but it's so, it's just to have that and uh, give it to that that old, that age, you know, that, that that say sixteen to thirty years old. Yeah, you know, um, and it's it's all the life lesson that I've learned, and what I had to go through and all that stuff. And you know, I think that's the the key of success is to keep you know creating. Yeah, that, uh, no, those just those two about. stories alone, Fred. They should make a movie about you, because really, the <laughs> fact that you did something that they said couldn't be done, and you did in like record time. And then the fact that you did like those 12 minute flights a day and put on all the hard work just to, you know, just to get your hours up at that point and then say, okay, finally give me a shot. And I think what's even crazier. And it was, it was probably when you were doing the transition to LA, you set the world record for the helicopter, the highest altitude. How did that even, how does that even come into your mind to think to beat that record? It's because when you get 40 as a man, um, I'm I'm there. I'm almost uh, there. Okay, so or you buy a Porsche, you know, or you want a Rolex, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, it's all those things where you need something to spice it up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I believe at 40 years old, most of us, you kind of cruising in life. I mean, you, you, you know, the first 20 years, you have to climb the ladder, but to a point, you're cruising. And before you, you keep going up, there's a little of a mid level. I was there. So I needed something to spice it up. And um, I wanted something crazy. And I was thinking, I should do that it, 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 on, on what I know. So helicopters. So what, what am I going to do? And I was thinking, okay, I can land on the Everest, you know, the highest mountain. <laughs> and then when I tried to explore that, it was so complicated because the top of the Everest, it's claimed between Tibet and, you know, the Chinese and everybody is like, it's mine, it's not yours. Uh, you know, Nepal and uh, Tibet. And it was so complicated politically to yeah. get permission and... And the helicopter manufacturer were not helping me at all. They were not interested. And then I think, okay, fuck that. I'm going to go the highest I can go. And I contacted the guy that had the previous record. He's another French guy. He was 72 years old back then. And I said, can you tell me your story? He explained to me everything that he went through. And then I said, I think I can do this. <laughs> and, and then it took me two years. Uh, I got the idea in 2000. And then in 2002, in March, I did it. 
And it was crazy. Did you read that that piece in the book? I got to a little bit of it, but no, I didn't full. I didn't fully read it. But I I was reading on your. It was on your website, or it was on a link that I read. On the website, yeah. On your website, on yeah. Website, yeah, on the website there's a story, but on the book, in the book, it's the first time that I go into details of cool. what happened on the way up, but especially on the way down. And it was four minutes, the longest in my life. But you should read that part because it's. I will. I think you're gonna you're gonna feel the stress that I went through. There's so many things that happened in that descent. Um, you should you should read that part because I was I'm pretty proud of that piece in the book. Cool. No, I'll read it tonight. Um, no, I, I just thought it's, it's fa- I always think it's fascinating oh, when people like world records, like even like when they used to have the Guinness Book World Record show. I just think it was so fascinating when people are like, "This is what I'm gonna." Obviously, this is something up up your alley. This is something you do for a living and a passion that you have. So I just thought it was so wild to uh, think of that. I th- just the fact that I was, you know, when I fly in a plane, they usually go at the most like forty-two thousand square, f- you know, for forty-two thousand feet, and you did that in a helicopter, which is it was crazy. And then uh, it was crazy, and it the fact that it's a mental process. So uh, the thing is, to me, the 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 record was more okay. If at I, I 40 years old, I need to prove to myself that I'm still capable to challenge myself in a big way. Because the problem is, more you go into life, you go, you go into comfortability. You say that in English? Yeah, you got it. Like, and then you get too comfortable. And then if you get comfortable, you're not going to improving because you just go to that cruising mode. Yep. So I needed something to, to make sure that I didn't lose any of my, you know, taking a, taking a risk. And like to keep going, moving forward. And then to me, it was a, a mental exercise. It's not about the record itself. It's just, am I capable to make a decision to do something and then do it? You know, because there's so many reasons to not do yeah. something like that. So many. In <laughs> fact, 99.9% is like, don't do yeah. that. You know, and everyone I spoke to said, don't even try, you know. <laughs> So, it, 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 you know, I had to prove myself. So that was one of the reasons of the world record. And, um, but it was really for me. There was no way I could be a disappointment to myself. Yeah. You know, so I went through that and it was complicated because just to get the, um, the counter pressure jacket, uh, because when you go to a certain uh, altitude and because our, the cabin of the helicopter is not pressurized, the air into your lungs expand. Yeah. And then you can die of, uh, you know, uh, blood. Uh, you ex- basically your lungs explode and everything, and then you die. So you need a counter pressure <laughs> jacket. But just to find that counter pressure jacket that works for the air regulator to send the airflow to the to the inflatable jacket to press down your lungs without you, uh, you know, can breathe. Uh, I had to buy that on the on the Russian black market. Oh my god! Because there's no way, like nobody wanted to sell me that to do a, a world altitude record. Do not have the liability just to find that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard, you know. And so anyway, it took a while. Um, took me two years. I did some training and everything and off we go. And in the book, I'm explaining the whole complex, uh, cool. you know, uh, things that happened. And, and the descent was a fucking wild <laughs> Crazy. I, I'm going to read it tonight because I think it's I think it's so fascinating. Now, in the last 21 years, has anybody reached out to you about that record to trying to do it? A few guys uh, told me, you know, I, I'm considering it, and I said, you know what, my equipment is there if you want to have it. Oh wow! Um, 
no, I mean, give it back, but you can use it. <laughs> but I, I just told them, you need a gigantic pair of balls. I said, make sure whatever you do, you have a gigantic pair of balls that they're so big, you can't even sit on it. Because I'm telling you, I said, when I read my book, even now that I can see the stress, everything I went oh. through, like today, I don't think I'm, I'm mentally ready. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it again. But you know what I mean? It, it, took, yeah. it took a lot of um, mental uh, strength. And, and after I did that, um, you know, it was... Because I had a breakdown. So on the way down, you'll see I had a, a, a physical breakdown. And I cried for 45 minutes after the landing. Basically, I was a wreck. Uh, I basically hit my threshold as, as, as a person. And, um, you know, before the world record, I had not too much empathy for people that had a breakdown. Because I was, I was seeing that as a weakness. Instead of, uh, after that happened to me and uh, I had, you know, nervous breakdown, I know I hit my, my threshold and then I can't judge anyone when they have a nervous breakdown because you don't know how, like how, how complicated it was for that person to get where he is. And who am I to judge that just looking at the person now? So that 45 minutes of nervous breakdown, when you, if you read the book, you're going to see, but and you will understand why I had done yeah. that, but it was so much... Uh, pressure, not, you know, internal pressure, self-induced pressure to take that I, I, it just exploded to a point. And it's good too, you know, it needs to get out of your system. You know, it's like crying. It has to get out of your system. Yeah. So I learned a lot uh, on, on, on the strengths, the challenge, the mental effort, what you, what you can, you fight yourself to achieve what you want to do. It's, it's all those things that was good for, with the world record. That's yeah. great. No, that's so cool. Cause you grew obviously like, you know, you achieved that goal, but like you grew kind of like emotionally, you know, you did something that you didn't expect. You looked at differently before that. No, that's, that's oh, 1000%. Yeah. I had no clue when, when I started to do it for me, it was just, you know, I'm just going to fly up and descend. Like, you know, you have those concepts of doing something, but man, that was <laughs> not. I mean, we know in life it's never like that, Yeah. but it was way harder than I thought it was going to be wow. way harder. So Fred, I always love when it, whenever it's like, when I talk to like stunt coordinators or I talk to this guy that was like a, uh, like a Hollywood bug wrangler, like what goes into like filming a scene? So when a director say like Michael Bay comes up to you and says, Hey, like, how does that even start? Is it on a storyboard? Does he take a flight with something to show you what he wants? How does that go? So usually, um, they, I get two phone calls, okay? It can be from a director, eight, eight or a year, nine months, six months before we're going to do the show, or a producer. So usually if it's a producer, it just needs a budget. So we don't we don't go into the creative part at all. You just tell me, Fred, that's the script we have. It's not going to be the exact one, but, you know, this is the script. Just um, send me a price. How much going to be the budget? Because I have two jobs in, uh, in that Hollywood industry. I do what we call Ariel Coordinator. And the aerial coordinator uh, is doing budget, is finding the aircraft, putting the crew together, is involved in the permit process, where we're going to do this and everything. And then you give that to the production. And then the film pilot, a stunt pilot, that's that's when we do the show. So I do the, the two jobs. So when the producer is calling me, it's more about the aerial coordination part. Yeah. But if the director is calling me, it's more the uh, the film pilot part. And they usually when they're telling me, they say, okay, I'm going to send you the, the piece of the script or the script. Tell me if what I wrote 
or what I need to direct is feasible. And what do you think? So usually like an event exchange like that. Sometimes they're not asking me it's feasible because it's something pretty s simple, but they want to know how we're going to do it. But sometimes, you know, like, uh, you know, extraction two, where I land on a moving train. Uh, originally, you know, uh, Sam Hardgrave, when he called me, um, he said, Fred, you know, I want to do the most bitching helicopter and train sequence we've ever seen. So now he's telling me that he's like, you know, what can we do to make that happen? And I'm trying to remember all the movies I've seen with helicopter and train and see what did they do. And then he said, you know, I want you to come with three helicopters attacking the train and one is going above the train at 60 miles an hour and some five guys were repelling down to the train. That's what he said at the beginning. And then I said, well, uh, that's been done. I mean, I, I was not sure, but to me, it was that was nothing. Yeah, it's cool. But, you know, <laughs> I said, why we don't land the helicopter on the on the train instead of do the repelling? We land and then the five guys get out and then and then he said, really, you can do that? And I said, yes, but I have no clue. Okay? <laughs> because I've never done that before. Yeah. I, I had the gut feeling that I can do it, but I don't know. You know, if, I, if I'm telling you, can you, if you take two cars at uh, 100 miles an hour on the freeway, can you go from one car to another? <laughs> yeah, I think I can. But you know what I mean? You don't know until you do it. Yeah. And then there's plenty of problems that you didn't think about. You know, like the two cars won't be. So anyway, I told him, yeah, uh, yeah, you can. And then he said, okay, great. So then the problem is from that point, now he's building the sequence like that. And and me, I don't hear about anything for three, four months. Then the studio sign off on the on that story and then they put the money. Now the producer called me and said, Fred, you know, I need a budget. Now nobody's questioning, is it possible? <laughs> yeah. Give me the budget for it. Everything is going to motion. Now I'm starting to panic a little bit, you know. <laughs> So in the book, I'm explaining all that, everything that went through my mind, like from the beginning to the end, like going through those moments of doubt, um, how I'm going to do it, you know, like shit, you know, the train is way more narrow than I thought it was. It's, it's more narrow than the width of the helicopter. So I cannot land the damn thing on it. There's no space to put the skid. Yeah. And then if I land sideways, I may flip around, like the air will flip me around and I say, that's not going to work. And I'm just, you know, trying, everything goes to my mind. But it's an, it's an exercise in there because we can't, tr we can't practice. I speak with my team. We go over the details, but they said, you know, and at the end I'm thinking, okay, so I have to put one skid on the roof, the other skid outside of the train and the five guys get out. Well, easy to say, now you have 1,000 pounds of five guys going from one side to another. Yeah. So the helicopter may flip too. So anyway, all that stuff, then, you know, I send the budget to the production. We're supposed to, to do it on whatever day it is. And then they're asking me, so how much practice do you need? And then I said, you know, again, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I never landed on a train. So it's a process, you know. So I, I just envision, okay, I'm going to need seven days in my mind, thinking day one, I practice with a stuntman and day two and day three. And then they ask me, but, you know, we don't have the train for 10 days to practice. Not easy to find a, a rail track with no wires. Yeah. You need a diesel locomotive, not a, a you know, electric train like you have uh, today. And then, and, and then they're telling me, by the way, the rail track that we have, you only have 22 seconds to do it because there's trees on each end. So you have 22 seconds. <laughs> so it's another, another hurdle. That, yeah. <laughs> right. So I said, okay, that doesn't help me. Because in my mind, the whole thing was going to be 45 seconds. 
in my mind. So anyway, it's all those things that come your way. It's like in life. Shit comes one after yeah. the other and you have to, you know. And um, so it just, you have to convince that you can do it. You have to convince, be convinced that you need to, you that confidence in yourself that you can go over all the issues. So I just told them, look, we don't have the train. So what I need is a decommissioned runway, like a, a long runway, but it's like a decommissioned one. And then I need a flatbed truck, put the train container on that flatbed mm. truck and let me practice, you know, on it. So we put cars in the 22 seconds, like if it was the trees. And then I was pra practicing in the 22 seconds. So we did it 20 miles an hour, 30, 40, 50, 60, all the way to 80 miles an hour. And at the end, we told them, you know, 60 is the best speed. And that's how we practice. And uh, if you look on my Instagram, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I put a post where you can see a, a truck and I'm flying sideways in front of it. Okay. That's the truck. Oh, cool. You know, that's the truck. So anyway, that's how. So I have to come up with ideas for the training. I have to come up with that stuff because we don't have like, a, you know, when we do a stunt sequence like downtown Los Angeles, I can't practice in the city. Yeah. I have to practice somewhere else. And then on the day, I have to be very efficient. So to give you an, an idea on extraction two, I practiced for 10 days. I maybe landed on that damn truck maybe 80 times, 100 times. But when we did it on the on, on, the, on the day to shoot it, we did it twice. Ah. You know, so it just so. So in the book, I'm going through the whole motion, all my moment of doubt. And it was freezing temperature. We had no doors. It was minus six degrees Celsius. Oh my god! Which is very cold. You know, it's like twenty or something. So, so you, you your hands. You know, it's you cold. You know, it it just so anyway, just stuff like that. That's crazy. Yeah. What was like a budget? Obviously, that seems like super involved. But like, what what is like? It's got to be just the way you just explained everything that like that was. It seems like that has to be like double digit in the millions, right? Uh, it, it was, uh, I think the whole trend sequence, everything with us was like 5 million. Wow. Like yeah. But who gives a shit? No, if it looks cool and it's real, like I'd rather see cool. that than it's when what, you know, it's like in, right. in a green screen, you know? No, of course it's production value. Yeah. You know, to me, of course he has to be the right price because in, in life you need, you need fairness in the value of. Things. Oh yeah. You don't want to cut corners or anything, you know? No. But if, if the value, if the money you pay is correct and then it's expensive, it's okay because the audience will see the difference. And then you can, it's a trailer moment. It's the, the audience will say, those guys did it for real. So the, the audience, they want authenticity, you know. So I love when directors are okay to go all the way for authenticity, for the real things. I'm always fighting hard to do everything for real as much as I can. I will open my mouth and that's something I've learned through the years of being in LA and in America, you know, working for Hollywood and all that stuff, is if you have an idea, speak up. Did you uh, read the part in the book when I do the Steve Wynn commercial? No, I didn't get to that, no. You're going to have a blast. All right, cool. Because I opened my mouth. Um, Steve Wynn, like the, the Wynn ca was... casinos? The L the Vegas casinos? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, He's the, a character. Yeah, there was yeah. Hotel. So... That happened. I was just in America for a few years. It's in the book, and uh, I explain all the whole thing in details. You're gonna, I mean, you're gonna laugh. Sweet. But you have to understand. For me, as a French person, Steve Wynn is like if you say hello, it's, it's John Smith. Oh, cool I bet. The guy yeah. Is. But he called me on the phone. The guy called me on the phone directly. Hey, uh, Fred, you know, I'm, I'm Steve Wynn. I said to me, he can be a guy selling insurance. <laughs> I don't know. 
you know, but, and then he told me, you know, yeah, I have an hotel in Las Vegas. I get my attention, but you don't know if it's a scam, a spam or whatever. That or is. it could be like a and little then, dumpy hotel. You don't know. <laughs> right. You, yeah. I don't know, like a shitty hotel, but he said, you know, I built the hotel and the casino and we just did a commercial and the Oriole were bad and somebody gave me your name. So can I send you my jet and go to Santa Monica Airport in 20 minutes to pick you up? <sighs> I said, send me a jet. I said, sure. Like whatever plan you have, <laughs> you know, as a French person, you know, coming like a jet to go to a, to a movie job, you have to understand in Paris, I had to go on a scooter. To go to a, <laughs> you know, it's not the same scale. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so anyway, it's in the book, but I had to open my mouth and just quickly so the, your audience can um, get a, a bite yeah. of what it is. I, I got to, to his office. That is a huge room. And you can see Las Vegas view is amazing. And in the room, you have Steve Wynn is sitting on the left side of the, that huge table. And he's sitting on the left with his two dogs. And the dogs, they're like Greek statues, like they're huge and they don't move. <laughs> so it's like awkward. And then there is an empty, like a big empty gap in the table. And then at the other end of the table, there's 10 people. And they, they were from the uh, New York agency, the advertising agency. And they were sitting there. I'm sitting there. And remember, my English is uh, Z minus, not, you know, like I used to say, B plus, B minus. And, uh, and then he's, he's showing me what they just shot, which, you know, was pretty around the hotel, but there was nothing specific. And I can tell that guy is an ego the size of like the Empire State Building. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, he's successful and he built hotel and casino. I mean, it's an amazing career. And I'm thinking, and then he said, so... You know, what do you suggest we do to, uh, you know, to have my hotel? And I'm thinking for a second, I'm thinking, I said, Mr. Wynn, um, would you have the balls to go on top of your building? Because it's 600 feet up. To, do you, Would you have the balls to go on top of the building edge? And you're just standing there. And me with a helicopter, I will be 10 feet from your face and with the camera on the helicopter, we'll be zooming into to your face. You will introduce your hotel, but we don't know where you are. And then I'm going to, I'm going to descend down like this. And you're going to go, basically it's a, it's a pull down and we're going to see going towards the sky with your hotel, like a God. And you'll introduce your hotel like that. And he look at me and thinking, because I was hesitant to say it. Yeah. You know, I thought I was going to get fired or, and because I'm French and I, you know, the way I say, do you have the balls? It's with my accent. I think I'm, I can say different things than an American person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't come out as hard or as harsh. Yeah. Right. It doesn't sound that hard because you're thinking lots of translation, whatever, whatever the fuck it is. It's not, <laughs> you know, so, and it, it is a little bit because in, in France we'll say, you know, we'll say, we'll say it, not necessarily to a CEO, but you'll say it. So anyway, he looked at to the advertising agency and he said, so he doesn't think anything to me. He said, you, 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 and you, you're fired, get the fuck out. So those 10 people now walk out. So now I'm thinking, shit, you know. And then he looked at me and he said, I do have the balls. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to be doing. So in the book, there's a QR code at the end. When I, re when I tell that story, you can take your phone and then cool. put the QR code. You can see the Steve Wynn commercial and you're going to see him and you're going to see me going down and you can see the helicopter in the reflection of the building. 
And he wanted, and that's that's the, the, the commercial that I put on that QR code. So you can see Sweet. exactly everything I've been telling you now. So anyway, don't hesitate to speak up. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You know? Wow. Now you've probably you've done so many stunts, you know, in your career. Was there ever a time that you did feel? Obviously, you need to feel comfortable, just like any. But was there any time that you're like, I don't know if this is gonna, if I could do this? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like sometimes it's like, Psh, I don't know why, why you know why am I here? Like why putting myself? Because it's me putting myself there. You know, yeah. it's like, why am I doing this for what? It's stupid, you know. Because it, when you think about it at at this at the scale of life. I'm always trying to think at the scale of life, you know, I take a death because if, if the shit is right there, it's not the same perspective than if it's far away. So I'm trying to think at the end of my life, what, what I would remember, what I will, you know, have gratitude for. And I'm thinking I'm kind of stupid to take so much risk, all that stuff. But that's just for a few seconds. And then rapidly I'm thinking, stop that stuff. <laughs> now go back to the call, you know, go to the plan. You don't deviate from the plan. Let's do as plan and what we train for. You need to achieve this. There's so many people relying on you. And remember, I'm really trying at the end of the day to create an emotion to the to the, with the audience. I'm trying to do things for real. I want the director to be super happy. I want everybody to be proud of what we did. And the good thing with movie work is um, it's a team effort. Like the, everybody is in it. And you can see your work on screen forever. Yeah. You know, and you can show it to your family, to your friends forever. There's not that many jobs. I mean, you have podcasts, so you do the same thing. You can show yeah, yeah, you know, what no, you do yeah. on screen. But there's not that many jobs where you can have 700 people working together for a year. And then you can see the result on the screen. It's yeah. pretty cool. So I need to be proud of that. And that's one of the reasons I push myself. Even today, you know, I'm working on some movies right now. It's like for next year, it's like, fuck, how am I going to do it? You, know? <laughs> you still fly, you it. still fly, right? Oh, of course I do all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just did, uh, you know, six months ago, uh, Beverly Hills Cops 4. Oh, nice. For Netflix, yeah. <clears throat> we did some crazy stunt flying in there. One nice. of the most complicated sequences I've done in my life. When you're going to see it. You'll remember what I'm telling. It's like crazy yeah? shit. They like, feel that in LA? In LA, downtown LA. Sweet. Like crazy crap. Like you have no, like there's no way you're going to think it's for real. Yeah. I saw it on your oh, YouTube. Yeah. You had some cool clips. One was you filming. I always forget the, the, that uh, ravine, the ravine in LA, the famous one where it's in a million movies. But it's all like grayed out, and there's like a little bit of water. There's always chase scenes in it. But you put a clip on your YouTube uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. two years ago, and it was like, it's like it was so cool looking. Just the fact to take a helicopter under those bridges to me, that's just like yeah. To just I think did, of yeah, that, yeah. you know, it's wild because even though no, it was the LA River, it was the LA River. LA River, yeah. So like, just yeah. the fact that obviously you know what you're doing, you know the depth, like from where you're sitting probably to the top of the blade. So you have that idea, but just watching yeah. that, just thinking, ugh, it's crazy. The thing is, 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 you know, it's like if you drive a car and you go to a parking place that is tight, but you know you fit. Yeah. You know you do. The only difference between that and me in the helicopter is if I make a mistake, I die. Yeah. I'm in the car, you're just <laughs> going to wreck it. But it's the same idea. The only difference is the weight on your shoulder as far as the liability goes, your life, people, uh, the people's life, 
but it's the same. You know you fit. There's no data. There's no thing. You just look at it and you know you fit. So it's the same for me. Yeah. You know, I just need to be solid up there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just crazy to think about just the, just the flying aspect under things. And I, I just think the proximity when you're near other helicopters or other planes or that close to actors like Charlize Theron and right. Were you like super yeah. close to her in a yeah. shot? Cause she had a really cool quote super too. Close. Like, yeah, we did all the old guards too with her. Oh and yeah. The movie yeah. Is not out yet. Okay. And we did some crazy stuff with her. She had like a, I told her you have a gigantic pair of balls. You do. <laughs> and she said, I'm taking that as a compliment. I said, yes, it is. Yes. But I said, really? She, no, she was amazing to work with. She was super nice. She was listening and and you know with her when we started to do the uh and i can't tell you too much because the movie is not out yet but yeah, yeah. technically we're supposed to do 95 percent with a stunt double and five percent with her with the buck so five percent with her in helicopter sorry she was going to do 95 percent on the buck on stage and then with a stunt double i was going to do 95 percent and i i've asked if i could have uh, a moment with her one-on-one -on -one. Because there's an entourage and everybody has a, an idea. I said, can I just have a moment with you one-to-one? -one? And she said, yes. You know, a lot of actors says, no, I said, I'm going to send you my assistant. And then what I'm going to do, you know, yeah. even if it's a nice person, but what I'm going to do. So we sat down with her. We spoke for an hour and a half. And I told her because she was, she was worried about helicopters. She was afraid about helicopters for all the things we know, you know, Kobe Bryant accident and this and that and, <laughs> So all those, you know, famous things. And then I told her, I said, you know, I'm a family man. I have a wife. I have uh, two cats. I have three kids. I have my <laughs> life. I love my life. I said, you know, I'm not a person that a uh, cowboy and a reckless guy. I said, I will take care of you like, like my, my family. You know, you have to trust me that we need to do the sequence for real. There's no way we can do. You can do everything you're planning to do on the fucking buck. Is like, no, you have to do it. And she said, okay, explain it to me. And I explained it to her. And then she said, okay. So then she called the producer on the phone. And then she told them, you know, that's what we're going to be doing. Then I got a phone call from them. What the fuck are you insane? You know, and I said, you know, it's for the show. Like, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then after we did the sequence and Charlie's, you know, was fantastic. Like she was saying, Fred, more, more. And I said, no, that's good. We've done crazy shit. Like she was into it and it was so much fun. That's why she, in the endorsement that she made, she talked about the trust. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's what's big. I think that's you know, why you are the go-to guy because people trust you, you know? Yeah. But it, but it's, I, I told her it's a challenge and she, yes, there's a risk because we go up in the air and, you know, there's, there's unknown, but we'll control that risk. We'll make it safe. And let's do some crazy shit. That's what we do. Movie, let's do crazy shit. You know, because if we only do comfortability, green screen, audience, they know. Yeah. You can't fool the audience. They may don't understand exactly what it doesn't work, but it's not working. You know what I mean? They want authenticity. So I'm convinced on that. And that's what, you know, basically what I've been doing the past five, five, eight years. I'm pushing hard yeah. to do uh, the real deal, you know. Fred, it's been awesome, man. Anybody, I'll put the episode in the episode notes. I'll put the link to your website where you have all the links to buy the book. Yeah. Fred-North.com. Yeah. It's flying sideways. The story of the world's most famous sun pilot. Fred, it was great talking thank to you, man. Yeah, me too, doc. Thank you so much. And read the other half. I'm going to, I'm going to. 
Appreciate it, man. It's a fun book. Thank you so much, Doug. Hey, no problem. Have a great rest of your night. Fred was amazing. So many things uh, going back that I mentioned in the intro, like his determination to get that Canadian flying license, which is unreal. The story about Gerard Butler and him talking to him 45 minutes about the book and just so cool because it's trust. It's all about trust with Fred. And that's why so many people want to work with him. And if it's like Charlene's the first time that she worked with him, then she wanted to keep working with him because that trust that he was able to build. Fred was awesome. Thank you, Fred. Again, Flying Sideways, the story of the world's most famous stunt pilot. You buy it at fred-north.com. I'll also put it in my episode notes. Uh, lots of fun. So next week, Taken 3. It's going to be fun to cover a Liam Neeson movie the first time. We were one or two a few years ago, but there was another sequel that we were wanting to do a little bit more for uh, DB Sweeting uh, when we talked to him a few years back. So, uh, yeah. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night. Good night, guys.